coincidence that uh, this week's community group material and tonight's message um, sync up perfectly uh, and so we're going to just embrace the fact that God really very much intentionally has our church on a path and um, sometimes I know the sermons are incredibly random and the uh, community group material sometimes may seem random but I assure you that both are prayed about, and uh, it's pretty cool when, when things go together as well as they do. We've been studying the fruit of the Spirit in, in our groups uh, this semester. This past week, uh, we talked about goodness, and um, goodness is kind of one of those uh, terms that is almost too, uh, too general to really understand. And so we looked at the story um, that Jesus told of the, the prodigal son, um, and looked at examples of what goodness looks like instead of trying to define it necessarily. So let's just look at examples and, and maybe let God teach us what goodness really looks like in real life. And so um, that's where we were in groups this past week and heard um, good feedback kind of bounced around and, and whatever. And um, it fits as well into um, a series on grace because grace and goodness are all, and kindness and all those things are all kind of, even though they're all distinct, they're kind of all in the same lump of uh, awesomeness that is uh, God, and so, um, yeah, I just said that, um, lump of awesomeness is not in my notes, so um, we talked last week uh, about how grace is usually defined as unmerited favor, and rather than assuming that we under, all are, you know, understand what that means, we just kind of unpacked each of those words, um, favor is, is the Old Testament word for grace, and um, my very loose definition was, um, you know, God basically saying, I like you, and I'm going to do things uh, in your life that you can't do on your own. And um, so favor is, is uh, something that we're, you know, and we're, we're familiar with it because there are people in our lives who do things um, that we cannot do on our own all the time. Um, if you are employed and you have a boss, uh, you cannot give yourself a raise but your boss can. Um, you cannot give yourself a promotion, but your boss can. You cannot um, give yourself just extra vacation days um, once you've used yours up, but a lot of times your boss can. And so we understand um, someone doing something for us that we can't do ourselves, but what makes, what makes life situations like that a favor different from God's favor is that in a job situation, you have absolutely earned whatever. If your boss likes you, that means he likes you for a reason. Um, maybe you worked really hard, so you got that promotion. Um, maybe you've been with, with the company X number of you know, months, and so now you get a raise, and your boss just has to sign off on that. You know? um, maybe, maybe the boss hates everybody at work except for you, so when you ask for a couple extra vacation days, he's like, okay, I'll do that. You know? um, that's why grace being unmerited favor is, is so different. Is that when God looks at our lives and he says, I'm going to do things in your life that you can't do on your own. 
whether it's um, save you from sin and rejoin you to him. Um, it's free us from addictions and sin, like these patterns that we get in. Um, whether it's take a life that's completely self-centered and over time make it one that is very Christ-centered. Um, whether it's heal a marriage or restore friendship or um, take a church that has a horrible history of messing people over and misrepresenting Christ and he over time morphs and changes them into a beautiful picture of what the bride is supposed to be. Um, whatever it is um, that God does in our lives that falls under the category of favor and things that we can't do on our own, that he says, I'm going to do this for you. Um, the difference between that and how you get promoted or whatever at work is that we have not earned it at all. We kind of looked at that word unmerited last week and looked at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and we saw how it's not that we deserve it like you sometimes do at work because actually we deserve uh, to be destroyed um, uh, by the wrath of God. Uh, it's very pleasant to talk about, but that's what we deserve. Um, we haven't earned it because you can't, on your best day, you can't earn salvation. You can't earn all those things. Um, God doesn't owe us anything. Um, he just, you know, he's not like, well, I did kind of create him, and there was that, you know, the serpent in the Garden of Eden, and that kind of, you know, whatever. So I guess I owe it to him to kind of offer a way out. It's not that at all. That's not it. He doesn't owe us anything. Um, it, it's there's no benefit to him toward changing things in us necessarily. There's no deficiency in God that somehow um, us, you know, we can kind of help him out. Because sometimes, like, a boss will give somebody a promotion um, because it actually helps him out. It gives him more people. Uh, they're creating a whole new division, so we need to have a manager over here. I'm going to promote you from here over to here. Um, that actually comes back on the boss, and it's actually uh, more about what you can do for him. Um, God's not like that. He doesn't need us. And even though sometimes... Uh, that's what's taught. That's the kind of gospel that's taught in a lot of churches is that God needs us to carry out the Great Commission. Well, that's bull. He doesn't need us to carry out the Great Commission. He doesn't need us to go and do that. Um, he wants that. He desires that. That's his plan, but it's not because, like, he just can't get it all together. He's too busy holding the universe together, you know, I mean, whatever. Uh, there's no deficiency in him. It is an absolutely free gift that he absolutely wants to give. And so everything in our lives... That, um, that God does that we cannot do on our own, and all that favor has nothing to do with how awesome we are. And so when Monica comes up and she shares that story about all these things in her life that God is, has changed and is changing, it has nothing to do with how awesome Monica is, or Debbie last week, or Martha next week. Get ready. It has nothing to do with that. Even though all these people really are awesome, it's, that's not what it is. This is the undeserving goodness and favor of God in our lives. So that's what grace is, and that's where we were last week. Um, I want to look at this story really quick, and I want to zero in on um, something that's really important for us to understand before we get even more complicated in the next couple weeks with grace. Um, I want to zero in on the, the earning and the deserving parts. Because a lot of Christians um, have no trouble at all with, with saying, I believe I was saved by grace. There was nothing that I could do to deserve or earn what Jesus did for me on the cross. But a lot of times we leave, it, we leave it there. We leave it at Easter. As we live everyday life, we kind of launch back into this performance-driven mindset, whether we realize it or not. And the story of the prodigal son, you take a minute, a, just a bunch of different angles on it. It's such a good story. Um, so let's, just, let's read it kind of slowly together, and let me pull some things out real quick. 
and uh, see what God has tonight. Look at, uh, look at verse 11 in chapter 15 of the book of Luke. It said, There's a man who had two sons, and the younger of them, uh, the younger of them said uh, to the father, Father, give me, give me the share of property that's coming to me. Which is basically a way of saying, I, I kind of wish you were dead. I don't want to wait until you're dead to get my inheritance. And so uh, I wish that you were dead now so I could get it now. So why don't we just cut out the death part and you just give me what's coming to me. Huge insult culturally. Um, so the father divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Um, okay, 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired him. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Okay, this dude's having a bad day. Like a bad month, bad little while, and. This story, um, when it comes to grace, uh, when it comes to a lot of things, there's a lot of points. I'm going to try to really stay on target. But I want us to, to understand that when we talk about deserving and, and earning, um, we have to be able to see how we can relate to this kid. Now, you may have never told your parents, I wish you were dead, give me my inheritance. And you may have never run off to Vegas and just had a great month, you know, great in quotes and then uh, bottomed out, and then you were starving, and you couldn't even, uh, nobody would even give you what pigs ate. I mean, like, you might not be able to, that might not be your life story. Um, But basically, he was rebellious and self-centered. And we could probably all relate to that a little bit. That there are just times when you just do what you want to do. You do what feels good at the moment, you just do what you want. And even when you know, you know what God wants you to do, you know what the honoring... Uh, Christ-like thing to do would be you just do what you just don't I'm there a lot of the time I'm like I know I'm a pastor I should do this but it's Tuesday you know and I know I'm like I'm it's not about being a pastor or not I'm a I'm a child of God everywhere I go all the time and so I know how I should relate to people I know I should put other the needs of others before myself I, I know all that stuff and there are just times when I just don't care about that as much as I care about my schedule, my comfort zone, my money, my time, whatever. And so I think all of us can connect with that aspect of him. And so we've all been in that point where we've, just, we've had a bad day. We've made bad decisions. There's guilt. There's regret. There, you're just, like Monica said, you're in a funk. You know, you just, just, ugh. Now, that in and of itself is a whole other sermon, okay? And you probably know what all the points are for that. But I, what I want us to do is, is to jump to where you are in your mind when that's, when that's the case. And let's, let's, let's go on the good side of this. Let's just say there was just a bad day. Like, we've all had a bad day. I know sometimes it's bad weeks, months, years. Let's just narrow it down to one day. In that, in that moment, where are you in your mind? Okay, now back in the story, verse 17 says, but when he came to himself, okay, he came to his senses. A lot of times we have that moment of clarity where you're like, okay, this is stupid and I'm killing myself here and I'm miserable 
and this is not the life that God intended for me to live. Um, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise, I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Okay? So he practices his speech. Anybody ever do that? You ever have to have a tough conversation with somebody? You kind of rehearse it in your head? Um, every Sunday, that's pretty much what I do the whole time. And uh, just try to think about how I'm going to say this and whatever. And I get up here and it's, it's all gone. It's completely gone every time. Um, but so he's rehearsing this. And, and the, the key here, look what he says. I have sinned against heaven and before you. Okay? And that's fine. All of us need to come to points where we're like, this was wrong. I made bad decisions. Um, I know, I'm, you know, you just confess. There's nothing wrong with, with confession and repentance and a healthy sense of my bad. Sometimes you just have to say that. Um, then he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. No longer worthy to be called your son. You ever feel that way? See, if it could only end with the first part, we could say, God, I've sinned against you. But we always, we always lead to that next sentence. Whether it's intentional in our minds or it's just an emotional feeling that we have of, and I'm probably the worst Christian in my church, and I know none of my other friends struggle with this, or maybe I'm not a Christian at all, maybe, because if I was, maybe I, this wouldn't have happened, or... See, it goes really, really easily. It's very slippery to go from like a, a confessional, repentant place and you slip into it affecting worth, value, and identity. That's, that's dangerous. And then he goes one step further, treat me as one of your hired servants. So basically he's saying, I, I've lost the right to be called a son what I deserve, and I don't even deserve this, at the bare minimum, is to be one of the hired servants. See, this, this kid has earning and deserving issues. He has performance issues. He looks at his, his past however long, and for us, let's say, you look at your day, and you say, I have had a bad performance today. Instead of it stopping at the first sentence, it gets into worth and identity and what you deserve and stuff. Now, if you think you don't have performance issues, when it comes to your relationship with God, let me ask you, um, let me paint a scenario or two. Let's say that um, on the bottom of the sheet that we hand out on Sunday nights, there's a tear-off part. On the back of it, it has different, specific things we pray for each week as a church, as a way we can be unified throughout the week. A lot of times we'll put, like, pray for your boss, pray for one of your coworkers. We're, we just really believe that God has sent us out into the world um, to make a difference, and so praying for them is going to be a part of that. So let's say there's somebody that you, are, you know, God has put me in this person's life so I can represent him to them. Let's say that you woke up that morning, and you were late, and you, uh, you didn't have, you know, you didn't spend time in prayer, you haven't talked to Jesus all day long, um, you um, cussed everybody out on the way in traffic because Baton Rouge is horrible in traffic. People don't know how to drive, even when it's sunny. Um, 
and uh, you just lost your temper, you've been chewing out your coworkers, you uh, forwarded an inappropriate email to everybody, um, you laughed at a joke that was really inappropriate, and then typed it out, and then forwarded it to all your you know, buddies or whatever. Um, um, you, uh, I don't know, you lied, you gossiped, you went to inappropriate places on the website, you stole paper clips from the company, whatever. Everything you could possibly do, okay? Everything you could possibly do that at the, you know, come 345 on a work day, when you look back on that day, you're like, this is, I, I have made bad decision after bad decision today, all right? And that's just work stuff. I'm not talking about all the other things, right? Let's just say that you've just had the worst, like, anti-Jesus, opposite of Christ day ever, in every way possible. And at 345, that coworker that you've been praying for comes in and sits down and says, um, look, I just got to ask you something. There's something about your life that is different from my life. And I, you, you got to tell, tell me what it is. In that moment, what's going through your head? There's probably a little bit of panic. I mean, even if you had had the most Jesus-centered day ever, there'd probably be a little bit of panic, because we all kind of panic in those moments for some reason. But there's probably some panic going, of all the days, this is the day you're going to come sit down. When I'm so far from Jesus today, and I'm, you know, whatever, and you're probably like, there's no way that God is going to honor this conversation. Because you have performance issues. Because I have performance issues. Because, because we look at God's grace in terms of deserving and earning, whether we intentionally do it or not. That's what I mean by we leave it at, at Easter instead of bringing it into every day. And just like this kid, all of a sudden our worth and what we deserve and all this stuff is wrapped up in it. And there's probably a part of you that really thinks that God would never bring that person into sit in your cubicle on that day because of the day that you've had. It's because we don't really, we don't really get it. We get it on the cross. You know, we kind of understand grace there. We don't understand grace um, on those bad days because we think we have, um, it's like, uh, like the old game of school when you, everybody starts off in the back of the classroom when you're a kid, and everybody's, you know, and the, there's a teacher in the front, the teacher asks a question, if you get it right, you move a desk closer. And they keep asking questions, if you get one right, you move closer, and if you get one wrong, you move back. And that's kind of what we feel like. It's almost like, oh, mercies are new every morning. Cool, we all start off in that front row. And the more things you do wrong, you get further and further and further away. And then when God brings some opportunity, you're like, well, there's no way I can minister to this person. I mean, I've been, there's just no way. Or, have you, um, it's ever just like been a long, long, long time since you, you really prayed and spent time with God? And, you, and so you finally are like, uh, okay, and you spend, all, you spend like the first little while, you know, like a, like a like confession in a Catholic church. It's been this long since I prayed, God. I know it's been a couple weeks. I'm sorry, and I've been real busy, and, you know, I'm sure. And, and basically you ought to just say, like, God, I know that you're mad at me because I haven't been praying. If you think God's mad at you, you have performance issues. I'll go one step further. I love, uh, I love my life. I do. And one of the great things is uh, when I get to do um, counseling before somebody gets married, and I always tell them this, that's kind of weird that I'm not married, but I'm going to tell you how to be married. Um, figure that one out. But the good thing is I can say anything I want that comes from Scripture and not be a hypocrite. It's the only environment where I can ever really do that. 
So I can look at the guys and say, you have to be the most accurate picture of Jesus you'll ever see. <laughs> Good luck with that, you know. Um, husbands and wives, do you avoid praying together because your spouse knows you better than anybody else, and they know how you are, and they know how you've been. And so if you try to like, call, like, create a holy moment at the end of the day and say, let's have family prayer time, you're worried that your spouse is going to think you're totally fake, so you don't do it. Ben, husbands, anybody? I know you all talk about it all the time, praying with your spouse. And when you talk to married guys, a lot of times what they say, it's like so awkward because like, they know you so well and you just kind of feel fake even though you know it's the right thing to do and it's the solution to everything else, we still avoid it, you have performance issues. We, we have them because we think we've either um, not earned enough or that we deserve to be very distant from God. Um, we're a lot like this son and we maybe don't even realize it all the time. And so then uh, comes the part of the story that we really like. And it's the beautiful part and it's a, a part where we get to see grace just right there. Look at uh, verse 20. He rose, came to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Kid got halfway through his speech, and the father's like, I don't want to hear that. And he, he publicly restores him so that the son would know and so that all the servants would know and everybody would know the reality of the situation. That it has nothing to do with our performance. I'm not saying our lives shouldn't look a certain way and we shouldn't be... Um, pursuing holiness and making changes and, and having discipline. All like, I'm not saying all that. What I am saying is that at the end of the day, when it's 345 and you've had a bad day and your coworker sits down, the grace of God is just as abundant and powerful and present as any other time in your life. This kid had not um, earned his way out of the family. His identity had never changed. He was still his son. And so this gracious father who represents God said, I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And you deserve to be kicked out of the family. But I'm going to restore you publicly because you can't restore yourself. I'm going to put the family ring on your finger. I'm going to dress you well. I'm going to put shoes on those ragged feet. I'm going to go above and beyond, over the top, so that everybody knows that you are in my favor. And that has nothing to do with how you have performed during this time, what you deserve or what you've earned, or what you've lost. See, the kid thought he'd lost his way out and he was going to have to earn his way back in. That's... That's really what it boils down to. That's what it boils down to a lot of times for us, is we feel like, we feel like we've, we've lost the privilege of calling ourselves Christians or God's kids, and so now we have to earn our way back in. A lot of times that's, 
we, it comes up with like, well, what are our next steps to getting back on track where we need to be? Um, a lot of times our minds are like, okay, well, if I do all this, then God's going to like, now he's frowning on me, and then he'll, he'll slowly, his countenance will change, and then he'll be smiling on me again. And the truth is, God never, never stops smiling. I mean, at times, I think his heart hurts for us. And when we're walking in things we shouldn't walk in, I, I think it makes him sad. I think it's like the father in the story. It says he was a long way off, in the, and his dad saw him. But see, it's not about what we deserve, and it's not about how we earn it. That's why it's called unmerited favor. See, then his older brother comes up, and his brother was all mad. Let's just cut to the chase. His brother was like, look, I've never left here. I've done everything you wanted. You never even give me a little goat to hang out with my friends and, and you know, whatever. Um, that's not really accurate. But, uh, <laughs> look what he says in verse 31. This is his response. Kid's all jealous and mad and whatever, and he's like the good son. It's just... Verse 31 says, Son, you're always with me, and all that's mine is yours. Says, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. See, one of the things about grace is that it is, it is when we come into reality. See, for both of them, for the younger son who was all rebellious, the grace that the father showered on him was... His reality check. And can you imagine that he's, as he's standing there with the family ring on his finger and this robe and sandals and the party being planned and everybody scurrying, and he's probably like just stunned? That's grace. Because it's in those moments when God says, this is, this is the reality of your situation. And this older brother comes up, he's all jealous and we know whatever, and that's what the dad says too. He says, look, you've always been with me. I'm all, we're always one. Everything I have is yours already. That's grace too. To both sons, the father says, it's not about your performance. It's, it's about reality. And it's in those moments where we find out who we really are. If you feel like God's mad at you, he's not. If you feel like you've lost the right to call yourself one of his, you haven't. If you're trying to do a bunch of good stuff so you can earn your way back into his, his good graces, you're wasting your time. And the cool thing about all this is that they really just didn't understand the love that the Father had for them. The younger one didn't understand his love enough to just come back and say, hey, I messed up. He had this whole speech ready and all this other stuff. You can back it up to the beginning of the story. He didn't understand love either, or he wouldn't have left in the first place. The older son didn't understand love because he was all trying to do those good deeds to stay in dad's good graces. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, Paul says it's that the, the love of Christ controls him controls him. He's like, how do I, how do I live in, in, in this grace? How does that grace that was unearned and undeserved on the cross, how is it unearned and, and undeserved in my daily life? Like, how do I stay focused on that? Well, if the sons, if they understood the love the father had for them, they would have both been a whole lot better off. We wouldn't have had this awesome story to tell. 
But the younger one wouldn't have rebelled, and the older one wouldn't have been jealous. And so for us to be controlled by the love of Christ, that requires some discipline on our behalf. That means us focusing our lives on that. Not just at Easter, not just on Lord's Supper nights. Because if we understand the way that God loves us, and how He loves us, we don't go weeks between times of prayer. We don't settle for just okay life. You know? We understand, okay, I, I had a bad day. It doesn't change my worth. It doesn't change my value. Okay, I had a really good day. It doesn't change my worth. It doesn't change my value. Because unmerited favor is shining on me all the time, whether I realize it or not. That's reality. That's what the love of God does. That is what the grace of God does. Is it says, everything else that's lying to you and telling you that you're worthless and that you're a terrible Christian and that you'll never, you know, whatever, all that stuff, that is all lies. And graciousness is going to shine into your life and let you know this is, this is reality for you. And so what we're going to do, and I know I've kind of gone long, but it's okay. We're going to sing some songs um, on purpose tonight um, that talk about the way that God loves us. And I was thinking earlier, you know, a lot of times, like, we, we're, these, a lot of these songs are familiar, and we have new ones here and there and stuff, but these songs, some of these ones we've done for a long time, they should, they should evolve in meaning. And so maybe tonight, some of the ones that are familiar, maybe as we read the words and stuff, Maybe it, maybe it sets a little bit differently with us. Maybe you're in denial about the, the fact that, that you do kind of have this performance-based mindset. Jesus Christ has the power to change that. Just let him, let him love you. Let him love you tonight. Make that your prayer. Say, God, I, I, I want to sense your love for me. And it'll, it'll happen. He's good like that. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, there's so much in this story that um, it's easy for us to identify with and connect to, but God, you know the issues that we have with trying to earn things and feeling like we've disappointed everybody and let you down. And God, I pray that tonight that you will You'll give us uh, that moment where we connect with the reality of the situation. God, where your truth replaces those lies. Um, God, whether it's the younger son we connect to and feeling like you're mad at us and we've let you down, or whether it's the older son where we really have just been trying to earn and gain approval and Pray, no matter where we are, God, that you will, that your graciousness will shine on us. We'll see that we've never, we've never lost our identity. We've never lost our worth. We've never lost the right to say that we are your sons and daughters. Help us to see, Father, that the next obedient step is right in front of us that there's no lag time that we don't have to wait 
we don't have to get all our ducks in a row or get a bunch of stuff fixed before we can start walking in obedience. That begins in these moments as well.